our whoops, our affirmation of faith this morning reminded us uh, of the the truth of the scriptures uh, that uh, everything is pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament is uh, is pointing us forward to God's chosen anointed King who would come to redeem and save His people. We've been seeing that in uh, in First Samuel, haven't we? Um, that uh, God is intent on accomplishing His purposes, and He has been preserving His anointed and chosen King in order that redemption and restoration would ultimately come from the heir of David, who was to come. Uh, what we're we've seen uh, so far in the uh, uh, in First Samuel uh, as well is that although God is intent on preserving His King and His kingdom, uh, there are others who are opposed. Uh, in fact, in this chapter that we're going to look at this morning, uh, the author of First Samuel is drawing our attention to the hostility that comes from the establishment and God's preservation of His King and His kingdom. And so that's what we want to look at uh, this morning. Um, so if you would, uh, turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, if you're following along in one of your the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 243. We are going to look at the whole chapter together this morning. Uh, it's a little long, uh, but we're going to read the whole thing. Uh, as one of my professors used to say, uh, the reading of the scriptures might be the best sermon you hear this morning. So uh, pay attention. Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And why is my sin before your father? Uh, and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I've found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know, lest he be grieved. But truly, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good... It'll be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of Yahweh with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, Yahweh, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out, that my, sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if, it is, if he is well dis, uh, disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? 
But should it please my father to do your harm, Yahweh do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you, and send you away, that you may go in safety. May Yahweh be with you, as he has been with my father. If I am alive, show me the steadfast love of Yahweh, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When Yahweh cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May Yahweh take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows through the side of it, as though though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go, find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them. Then you are to come. For as Yahweh lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for Yahweh has sent you away. Uh, And as for the matter for which you and I have spoken, behold, Yahweh is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something's happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I've found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brother's. For this reason has not come. For this reason he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, "You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field uh, to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, 
because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of Yahweh, saying, Yahweh shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your, your commitment to your glory and to true and accurate uh, revelation of yourself that you would preserve for us the word of God, uh, that it is uh, trustworthy uh, and without error. Uh, we thank you that throughout all the scriptures we see you clearly uh, and we see Jesus. Uh, we pray that this morning you would expose even more uh, his greatness, our need for him, accomplish your purposes in us. Uh, and everyone who is here, use your word to bring about your purposes in our hearts and in our lives, that Christ would be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, before I came up uh, here th this morning, Greta asked me, she's like, are you going to give me any more words to count this week? And so I told her that, yes, I would. So, uh, kids, if you want to keep count again, this week, listen for uh, hostility as your word to count. Hostile will count too. Sometimes I may make up words, so hostileness would also be, you know, that would, that would count. You could mark that as well. Because that's what we wanna, we're going to see, uh, that we encounter in this passage is the hostility that comes from the preservation and establishment of God's, God's kingdom. Uh, the, the first thing that we see is in this passage is that the world is hostile to God's anointed one. The world is hostile to God's anointed one. Notice that uh, in verse uh, 1 through 3. David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and uh, said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? Is it not so? But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I've found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Jonathan cannot see at this point in the narrative that the world is hostile to God's anointed one. That his father hates and opposes David and the establishment of him as king and his kingdom. At this point, Jonathan isn't convinced. Uh, a, a faithful man, one that we have seen who is hoping in God and who longs for the kingdom of David to come, is blinded. Blinded to this reality that the world is hostile to God's anointed one. What is it? Is he blinded by his love for his father? His familiarity? Uh, is, he wanting, is he in denial about the, the extent of his father's wickedness and his hostility towards David and his kingdom? Uh, we, we see that it, it, it takes this plan that David communicates and says, all right, we're going to go about and, and see uh, how we can determine whether your father is in fact uh, displeased with me enough to want to, to kill me. And so he and Jonathan come up with this, uh, this plan that David is not going to attend this, uh, this feast. 
And, and, but notice all the language that the author uses to describe the intentions and the heart that Saul has towards David, towards God's anointed one, his hostility coming out. In verse 13, it says, uh, But should it please my father to do you harm? Or later on, down in verse 31, when Jonathan finally figures out what is uh, going on, uh, Saul here yells out, Therefore bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan then questions, Why should he be put to death? And then when Saul hurls his spear at Jonathan, it is then that Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. There's hostility here against the Lord's anointed. Uh, And Jonathan, at this point, at the beginning of the narrative, couldn't see it. He couldn't grasp it. Back in the early 20s, there was a company called the, the Radium Company. And this newly discovered and popular element uh, was uh, the, the fascination of many people because it glowed. And so the Radium Company, what they did is they painted the, the, the numbers and the hands on watches so that they would glow in the dark. And there were these, these, this group of women that they hired. They later became known as the Radium Girls, who had this radium paint that they would paint on these watches so that they would glow. And it was all the rage, apparently, in the 20s. Uh, but there was this certain way that they needed to do it because the, the, the end of the brush needed to be a really fine point to get it on the numbers exactly. And so what they would do is after they had dipped it in the paint and painted it on the number, they would stick it in their lips to point it and pull it back out so it would be at a fine tip. And they would continue to go about their work. Nobody knew. Nobody had any sort of concern or fear for all of their thinking and of their awareness, they thought, this is safe. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no danger to this. Not knowing that this element was hostile in its dealings with their body. They began to lose their teeth. They had all sorts of cancer. One lady had even talked about, she went to get a tooth pulled from the Uh, at the dentist because it was rotting and as he pulled her tooth, her entire jaw came out because of how it was uh, attacking and deteriorating her body. Uh, You see, it's important for those who are unaware how, how much would their lives have been preserved? How much danger would they have avoided if they had heard the warning or had known this is dangerous, be aware of it, Here, Jonathan, at this point, is like the radium girls. He thinks, there's no problem with Saul. But it takes David convincing him, opening up his eyes so that he can see and recognize that Saul... Remember what we saw in Psalm 59 last week is David thinks about and reflects on Saul. He groups Saul with the world. Those who are opposed to God and his kingdom. David, the anointed one, is trying to make sure that Jonathan and his other followers know and recognize that the world is hostile to his kingdom. They must see it. They must recognize it. In fact, the scriptures communicate the same thing as it unfolds. Psalm 2. Listen to what 
the Psalms tell us about the world's posture towards our Lord and His anointed. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. We need to hear this warning too. It's not just David the anointed one, but remember what we've seen. David is one who is preparing and pointing us towards God's ultimate anointed one, his heir, the son of David, the son of Jesse, who is yet to come, Jesus. And he has the same message for his followers, warning and making sure that we are aware and know that the world is hostile to him and his kingdom. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hates you. One of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, one of his 12 apostles who would write to the church, continuing to instruct and apply to them right and sound teaching about Jesus and his kingdom. John, in his first epistle, would warn the church not to be in love with the world because it is opposed to God. We need to hear and be aware of this. We would be arrogant to think that we are better than Jonathan. Have we not seen how faithful he is? How he has been hoping and trusting in God when many around him weren't, yet he too has a blind spot. He's unaware of people, of things in his life that are in opposition to the true anointed one and his kingdom that are exhibiting and demonstrating hostility. We need to be aware and recognize that just as Jonathan's love for his father caused him to let his guard down and thinking, there's no danger here. What about us? What What are relationships, ideologies, our cultural context that we can, unaware, begin to think, ah, They're safe. They're they're neutral. There's no problem. This isn't in opposition to God's anointed, to Jesus or His kingdom. There's no hostility here. Think about it. Does, Does your love for your family cause you to be blinded to the way that worldly influence of those who might not be following Jesus are influencing and infiltrating your heart or your mind? Think about if you are uh, currently in a dating relationship. You may think the non-believer that you're dating is no danger, no opposition to Jesus or to your intentions and desires to follow Him. We need to hear the warning. We need to open our eyes and ask God to help us see and recognize what's around us. What what about the the media that you're consuming? Do you think that, that, that the songs that you listen to day in and day out that begin to, uh, to shape and form us of the, the values and the intentions and the desires of the world, 
don't begin to have an effect in the way that we think or what comes to our minds and our hearts, be warned. Recognize and hear. We need to hear the warning of our King. The world hates me. The world is in opposition to my kingdom and to my purposes for you. What about those of you who, like me, enjoy to play video games? Do you think that uh, they're just neutral? There's no danger here. This isn't a big deal. It's not affecting. It's not hurting anybody. What are you? What are you watching? What are you doing? What are you having those characters do? Would it be worth praying and asking God to open up your eyes to see? Is this in opposition to God's kingdom purposes and desires and longings in my heart? What about our, our patriotism? Does our love for our country, like Jonathan's love for his father, blind us at times to uh, the worldly intentions? Is Psalm 2 true? That the nations of this world are ultimately not for the kingdom purposes of God? Maybe we need to be more aware and open to how we are considering and thinking about uh, our place and our purpose and how we practice and implement our calling in the world, our relationship. Where is our ultimate citizenship? Are we being deceived? Can we humbly come before the Holy Spirit and say, help me see Is my position on uh, these uh, political issues aren't morally neutral. It's not this is politics and this is morality. We see that Jesus' lordship and kingship encompasses all things. So we as his people need to be aware. And if we are prone to this like Jonathan is, beginning to think, is my view on guns rights or limitations or freedom of speech or life in contradiction to the kingdom of God? Is, are these positions that I'm holding or thinking neutral? Am I being more informed by the world or by my political ideology than the scriptures? May we humbly, recognizing that the world is hostile to the God's anointed and that we can be blinded and affected by the, the culture and the surroundings that we're in, humbly ask Jesus to open up our eyes that we would be more informed by Christ, our King, than the world around us. But, but we see it's, it's not just that, that the world is hostile to God's anointed, but also that the world will be hostile to the followers of God's anointed. Did you see what happened to Jonathan? His own father. What happened when Jonathan comes before his dad pleading David's innocence. That he was righteous. That he had done no wrong. What does it tell us in verse 30? I'm still back over in the New Testament. In verse 30, we see Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? One, just take note there. Who is the rebellious one in this family? 
For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan pleads David's innocence, but Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. Here, it's being exposed that the world is not only hostile to God's anointed, but also to those who would follow, who would give their allegiance, their hearts, their lives to God's anointed to follow Him. That's what we heard Jesus say back over in John 15, wasn't it? He, in warning His followers in this way, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, wor- the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Do we recognize this? Do we see this? Are we prepared as the people of God for the hostility that will come to us in this world as we humbly seek to follow Jesus, our King? This past week, I got an email uh, to inform, it's one that, that informs and asks people to pray for the persecuted church. And this email was about a lady named uh, Boon Me from Laos. She grew up uh, as an animist, uh, believing uh, kind of God is in, uh, in, in everything. Her husband died, and so she began to believe that she was under, under a curse. But instead of going to uh, her local animist, uh, other people who followed in this religion, she instead went to the Christians in her community, thinking that possibly they had the answer for how she could be delivered from this curse. And she came to faith in Christ. Her family's reaction was swift and harsh. Her brother-in-law took away property from her because she had converted to Jesus. Other villagers in her town began to isolate and withdraw and pull themselves away from her because she had chosen to follow after God's anointed and she was suffering rejection and persecution. Just as Jonathan experienced it, just as Jesus experienced it, so too will we. That's what our king says. If the world hates me, it's also going to hate you because you are my servants and you are my followers. Are we, are we prepared for this? Are we aware for the, of this? Are we ready to count this cost? Know and recognize that... Uh, kids, uh, think, uh, think about it as you're at school. Uh, the way that maybe some of your classmates who don't know uh, Jesus, the way that they're talking, the language that they use, the jokes they make, the shows they watch. What happens when you don't talk the same way or don't laugh at the same jokes or begin to withdraw? It is possible that you could begin to be picked on. That happened to me for being a follower of Jesus. That just like Boone Me, you begin to be isolated. And you lose your seat at their table just like she lost a place in her village and her community. You find yourself isolated and without friends in a lonely and distant place. Are you prepared to count that cost? The same is true for 
all of us in here. Are you prepared to potentially not get the promotion or even lose your job for following Christ? Or is what is more important to us is the money or the prestige or the status. But here Jesus is saying we need to be prepared and aware and recognize that the world is hostile, not just to him and his kingdom, but to us as his people. The shame that we might experience, the ridicule, those friends that you're trying to connect with in your neighborhood, the ones who seem to, to invite and have the, the, the parties or the gathering and you feel uh, kind of left out and you really want to belong to that group, but you know in order to be connected with them and to be involved and engaged with them, you may have to compromise some of the things that Jesus has called you to live. Are you prepared to put that aside? To be left out just as Jesus was left out, just as David was left out? The Scriptures are trying to prepare us as God's people to recognize that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of His Anointed One will be met with hostility in the world. And if we are in faith uniting ourselves to Christ, we will experience too. It is not going to be easy to follow Jesus. So we've seen this hostility from the world to the Anointed One, the hostility to those who follow the Anointed One, But there's another element of hostility that we see in this passage, and that's that the kingdom of God's anointed one is hostile towards our kingdom. Notice how this comes out in the the passage. Look in verse 30. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Uh, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. We should edit it. You son of a perverse, rebellious man. Obviously, that's the the deal of what's going on here. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Saul has stated it truthfully. As long as God's anointed one is around, Jonathan's kingdom and Jonathan will never be established. Because the two cannot coexist. The kingdom of God's anointed one will and must come. And our kingdom cannot exist beside it. It must and will be established. Uh, Jesus uh, says this himself. If you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. You must follow me. In other places, he warns and tells his people, you cannot serve two masters. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? You want to preserve your life? You're going to have to lose it. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to set yourself, your priorities, your goals, your ambitions. If they are in contradiction of my kingdom purposes, of my calling in your life, you're going to have to count them as loss. You're going to have to set them aside. Your focus must be on me and not yourself. How crazy does that sound? How foolish does that sound? That's the world's perspective of hearing those things, isn't it? That was Saul's response, right? Jonathan, if you are going to deny yourself 
and set your kingdom aside for the kingdom of God's anointed one, it will be to your shame. That's what he said. You have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame. It doesn't make sense, does it? It's foolishness. The things that the world offers, the pleasures, the freedoms, the liberties, the delights, are in contrast to the freedom that Jesus offers. The freedom that is found in being a slave. A slave of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 18, talking about these very same things. This idea of shame as it's related to following Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Down in verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The cross is foolish. Deny yourself and follow a crucified king? Madness. Acknowledge your complete and total weakness and inability to save them yourself. Your complete and total need of one outside of you to save and redeem and do what you could not. To put aside everything that our world is pursuing and chasing after because of the desire and longing to be known by Christ, to be in His kingdom, is madness. You do that to your shame. You are foolish. You are stupid. You are dumb. Do you realize all the joy that you are surpassing in this world to follow Jesus, the world would say? But the Gospel says different. The cross is wisdom. In Jesus, and only in Jesus, and in His kingdom will you find redemption. Will you find salvation? Apart from shame, you will find glory and honor as your king in the last day looks upon you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That that means something then, doesn't it? it? If hostility is coming from the world towards God's anointed and His kingdom, if hostility is coming towards us who follow Jesus and God's anointed one as our king, and if the kingdom of God is, is, is hostile to our own personal individualized kingdoms, then what hope do we have? Our only hope is to be in a covenant relationship with God's anointed one. You see, that's Jonathan's decision and aim here. Look back in your, in your text. Look in verse 13. But should it please my father to do your harm, do you harm? Yahweh do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May Yahweh be with you as he has been with my father. Or in other words, 
May God establish your kingdom, David, not mine. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of Yahweh that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when Yahweh cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May Yahweh take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him that he loved him as he loved his own soul. Jonathan is saying here, I know my only hope as God is establishing His kingdom is to be in a covenant relationship with God's anointed. David, I know that God is going to preserve you and establish your kingdom. Will you remember me? When you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? Is the plea, is the question that Jonathan extends to David. And David's answer is yes. We'll actually see the implications of this when we get to 2 Samuel later. But does that question, that longing sound familiar? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? It may seem that sure, the anointed one would answer yes to somebody like Jonathan. Someone noble and brave and holy and righteous with great faith and honor. Somebody like me? Somebody who struggles in their faithfulness, in their trust, in their honor before God? Somebody asked a very similar question to Jesus later. Not a noble and righteous guy, a thief. A thief on a cross who is being crucified beside Jesus. Earlier in the day, this same thief looks on the crucifying anointed one and mocks him, ridicules him, laughs at him. But as he watches the crucified one on the cross, something grips his heart and changes his mind and he looks at the crucified one and he says, I know you don't deserve to be here. Me and this other thief, we deserve to be here. In fact, he tells the other thief to keep his mouth shut and his ridicule and his mocking of Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, yes, today, today you will be with me in paradise. This mocker, this thief, this sinner, the anointed one extends grace and mercy. And when he says, can I be in covenant with you? The answer of the anointed one to the humble sinner who calls out to him is yes. Yes, you can be in relationship with me. In fact, Back over in our passage that we were looking at in uh, in First Corinthians, remember what what Paul says. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. That's covenant language. 
To be in someone is to be a member of the people that they represent. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Your only hope and my only hope is to be in relationship with Jesus. The question we all need to grapple and wrestle and the most important question you can ask is how can I get into Jesus? How can I get into a covenant relationship with God's chosen and anointed one? Whatever it takes, whatever the cost, do you recognize and see that it's worth it? It's worth giving away your kingdom, your honor, recognizing that you can do nothing. It's only the grace and mercy of Christ. Paul says this in chapter 3 of Philippians. We'll close here. Beginning in verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Again, Christ is just... uh, the Greek word used for anointed one. Again, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Are you in Christ? Are you in covenant relationship with the only Savior and Redeemer? That is your only hope in this hostile world. And your own hostility towards His kingdom. Hear and know that He extends His grace to you. Not through your works. Not through your righteousness. Not through your goodness. But through His. And you can be found in Him. In mercy and in grace. Trusting in Him. Call out. And the one who calls out to Jesus in faith, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The answer will be yes. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You that our salvation and our deliverance is not dependent on what we do or what we accomplish, but on You. Point us to Jesus. May our hope always and only be in Christ, our Anointed One. In His name we pray. Amen.